Welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. If this is your first time listening to the show, the number one thing that you need to know is that everything we talk about on this show uh, comes down to our three guiding principles. Those are peace, property rights, and free markets. So, Welcome back. Uh, Thank you for showing up for yet another episode of the show. Uh, Last week, we talked about sanctions and we talked about how we make money um, being at war all the time and keeping other countries at war all the time and how profitable that can be, uh, not only for just the U.S. industry, but for lobbyists and for politicians and how politicians actually make money off of that. And actually had so much good stuff on that that I ran out of time and wasn't able to continue and talk to you uh, about how I felt about the Democratic debates. So even though we are a little behind the last set of debates and we're actually getting ready to go into a new set, I just thought I would I would go over and I would do that segment again, and I would just give you a few of my opinions and a few things to watch and a few things to listen for as they move into that. But first, I've got a new segment that I am going to call This Is Me not caring. And if you think of uh, the meme with the woman from Sound of Music just spinning around in the Alps somewhere, enjoying life because she doesn't have a care in the world, that's me when it comes to some of the drama that's happened since my last episode was put out. As I'm sure you've heard on the news, Nike was going to release a pair of tennis shoes that had the original Betsy Ross American flag on the back of it, and there were 13 stripes and 13 stars for the colonies in the states, and they were ready to put these out, and Colin Kaepernick had a problem with it, and he felt that that flag was a symbol of racism. Nike decided not to put the shoes out at Colin Kaepernick's request. And now... Because Nike pulled these shoes with this flag at the request of Colin Kaepernick, conservatives are boycotting Nike and they're not going to give them any more money because of this unbelievable thing that Nike did. Well, first of all, let me count the reasons I don't care. One, you were already boycotting Nike from when they backed up Colin Kaepernick for kneeling during the national anthem. So how are you going to boycott them again? If you're not buying any of their stuff, it obviously doesn't change their bottom line. Second of all, Colin Kaepernick is a a free human being. He's free to do whatever he wants to do. Now, I thought that the, the kneeling before the flag, the kneeling during the anthem thing, it didn't hurt anybody. I don't think that it was the uh, most effective way to stage a protest and to start conversation when really all you were doing is upsetting people from the other side. But people are free to do dumb things in this country. That's one of the things we actually kind of seem to pride ourselves on. And on top of that, Nike is free to release whatever they want to. If they think people are going to buy it or if they decide that people are not going to buy something because that's not what they stand for, then good for them. Do whatever you want to do. I'm honestly, I didn't even look into it because again, I just didn't care much, but I think I'm curious to even know if Colin Kaepernick actually had a say in any of that, you know, whether that's even confirmed. But nonetheless, we look back at our our core principles here. Peace. If nobody's hurting anybody else, let them do what they want to do. And free markets, 
don't interfere with the way that other people want to do business. So if Nike doesn't want to do this, if Colin Kaepernick doesn't want to do this, and if conservatives don't want to buy the shoes, then great. Nobody's forcing anybody to buy anything or do anything that they don't want to do. And in my book, that's a win for everybody. The little bit of extra drama, it's silly, it's stupid, but you know what? I, I don't care. Uh, it doesn't matter. You wear whatever flag you want to on your shoes. Uh, personally for me, I think that Colin Kaepernick is a bit of a swindler, and I think that he has really managed to um, leverage a failed football career into a new activist career for something that is is not nearly as big of a deal, I think, as he thinks it is. At the same time, I think that any of the conservatives upset about this are being snowflakes. And you know what? It's a flag. It's a piece of cloth, and it's not even the current piece of cloth that represents our country. It's one that America's grandma sewed 200 years ago. So with those things being said, this is me not caring. Just drop it and let it go. Also in the news, another needless amount of drama that I will touch on briefly is the fact that the American women's national soccer team played in some kind of tournament and they dominated pretty much all the way through and they won whatever championship it was. And as it turns out, they are paid much, much less than their male counterparts on the U.S. men's soccer team. And so they've done a tour. They've been on all the morning talk shows. They made sure to put Megan Rapinoe out front and center to, to dance and just to just to really show what celebrities these women are and to also highlight the issue that they are not paid as much as the men uh, in their sport and that this is a problem that needs to be fixed. This is my advice to you, whether you are a female soccer player whether you are a burger flipper at McDonald's, whether you are the CEO of a company, no matter what you do, if you think that you are underpaid, go out and find somebody who's willing to pay you what you think you deserve. One of two things will happen. One, you'll find somebody who will pay you what you believe you're worth. Or two, you'll find that there's nobody out there willing to pay you what you want. And, and maybe you have to come to terms with the reality that you're not quite as productive uh, or as useful or as rare as you might think that you are. Your job as an employee is to make as much money as you can for the least amount of work. And your employer, their goal is to get the most amount of work out of you or the most amount of, of value out of you for the least amount of money. And you have to come to terms with that somewhere in the middle. But when you sign a contract that you're going to take this job, that you're going to play for this sports team, you are agreeing that you will give your services for X amount of dollars. So if you're on the women's team and you think that the women's team is underpaid, maybe you should go to a different team. My understanding of it, my very basic understanding of it, because it's soccer, and honestly, uh, I'm an American, so I don't care, but... My understanding is that you can play for whatever country you want to play for. As long as they'll accept you to be on their team, you can be on their team. And so uh, with that, these women can go find a job for a team that's willing to pay them better, or they can learn that maybe they're not worth as much as they thought they were. Now, my understanding is that they are more popular than the men's team. They're more successful than the men's team. You know, if they're bringing in the, the TV money and the ticket sales and all of that stuff to back it up, then sure, maybe they should be paid more. And maybe whoever's in charge of this 
can take a look at the numbers and figure that out. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't deserve to be paid more, but what I'm saying is if you have a problem with the way that you're compensated for your work, you need to take it up with your employer and you may need to go out and weigh your options in other places. Whining and complaining and lamenting the fact that you don't make as much money as you think you should out in public, it's just not a good look. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes people who complain. Nobody likes people who whine. Nobody wants to hear how hard you work or what this company would be without you. So put up or shut up. Do your job or find another job. Those are your options. And, and that's it. And, and otherwise, nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear it because people don't like to hear complaining, negative, ungrateful people. So hopefully you enjoyed that segment. Maybe I'll do that more often when things come up that honestly, this is me not caring. Maybe I can even find some songs or something from The Sound of Music to put in the background if I can get away with it and not get sued. But you can hopefully see this is how much I don't care about these issues and I've dedicated enough time to them now. Uh, Next up, as you have no doubt heard in the news this week, uh, there was some more back and forth between uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and Ariana Presley, I believe. I hadn't heard of her before. I don't really know much about her. I just heard one short clip of her talking this week. But they're now calling them the squad. And they have had uh, a bit of an online confrontation with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump told them in a tweet that they were all immigrants and if they didn't like the way that things were in this country, they needed to go back to where they came from. Well, all of these women, except for Ilhan Omar, was born in the U.S. and are U.S. citizens since birth. And Ilhan Omar immigrated here, uh, I think, in 96, 2006, something like that. So it's been, you know, 15, 20 years uh, that she's been in this country. Now, there is a bit of a background with her about potentially marrying her brother to get him citizenship status and some tax fraud and stuff like that. If you want to look into that, you can. There's enough evidence to kind of make you say, hmm, maybe this is something, but I'm not sure that it's so strong that I'm going to get stressed out about it because, honestly, politicians do illegal stuff every day. As you can see from uh, this whole Jeffrey Epstein thing going down, Even presidents have connections with people who are capable of horrible, horrible things and who are able to do horrible, horrible things for other people. And so uh, if this woman committed some tax fraud and did some kind of immigration fraud, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. There are much worse things out there happening. But, you know, a little while ago, Nancy Pelosi was chastising uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because... um, You know, she's not falling in line with the Democratic Party the way that Pelosi would like her to. And so she said something along the lines that implied that Nancy Pelosi was racist. And now Donald Trump has said these things about the squad, you know, these four women who are all minorities of some sort. And now Pelosi and the the rest of the House of Representatives have denounced Donald Trump's tweets and said, you know, that these are, are unacceptable for someone in government and unacceptable for anybody to have. So uh, this guy sent me a message. It says, um, you know, AOC is called Pelosi a racist. Then Trump makes racist statements about AOC and her friends. Then Pelosi gets up and says, Trump is a racist. Does anyone see the irony 
Uh, and there are three questions here. But the first question is, does anyone see the irony in Pelosi calling Trump a racist when the very women she's trying to defend called her racist herself? I don't think that anyone on the left sees the irony in this. I, I think that the left is so hung up on the racism thing that they've really lost any kind of scale of what's reasonable and what's not. Especially when you look at the progressive left, um, everything is racist. The wage scale is racist. The tax brackets are racist. The fact that white people exist makes them racist by default is something that, that they claim. And I, and I saw a tweet this week, and I, I wish I would have saved it, but you can go back through my Twitter and look for the retweet if you want. But there was a guy who said, you know, I consider myself to be a Reagan conservative, and ever since Reagan, we've been called a racist for everything that we do. And I'm going to be honest with you, the word racist doesn't mean anything anymore. It doesn't bother us because we've been called it so much that it's, it's lost all its meaning. I thought that was a very good statement. I thought that was a very good point that when you use a word over and over and over again, especially when you're trying to use it as an insult, eventually it loses its sting and it loses its meaning and it just isn't as important as it used to be. At the same time, people on the right wing were often able to come back with, you know what, you're the one who talks about race all the time. You're the one who's obsessed with race. Maybe you're the racist. And the only thing that I think that they've realized in all of this constant kind of, you know, race bickering or whatever you want to call it, is that they've realized that the term racist is losing its meaning. And over the past year or so, especially, I've seen them, I've noticed that the media has shifted away from the term racist and toward the term white supremacist. And kind of what that allows them to do is it allows them to redirect and make sure that, you know, you can't retort with, oh yeah, I'm not a white supremacist, you're a white supremacist. Um, it, you know, it's got, it's got the guilt and uh, the offending party built into the term, so you're not allowed to turn it back on them when they kind of use that. And um, I think that that's really all there is to it. And now suddenly, for the past couple of decades, everything's been racist. Now it's shifted. Everybody was a Nazi and everybody was a fascist for a year or two. And, and that, you know, really lost its sting. And now, you know, everything is white supremacist and everybody's a white supremacist. It's lost its meaning. And it's, it's a losing battle um, because they're using these things and they're stretching things to fit this narrative. And it also, the, pro the biggest thing I think is that it causes us to lose sight of what those words really mean. I mean, if you look at real racism, it's not okay. It's nasty. It's disgusting ideology. If you look at real Nazism, if you look at real white supremacy, it's unacceptable. It's, it's collectivism. It's gross. The idea that you can make accurate judgments about someone just because of what they look like or how much pigment is in their skin or what religion they are, all of those things are just stupid, but it really makes us unable to take accusations seriously or really look at someone seriously when everyone who's right of center is a Nazi. When, when Donald Trump is literally Hitler, especially if you're a young person who isn't nearly as familiar with that background, it kind of draws in the, the idea that if, if Donald Trump is Hitler, Trump's not that bad, then maybe Hitler's not that bad. Was Hitler just a guy who tweeted mean things, said ignorant stuff on the internet? I mean, that's, that's the territory that they, they bring into when they do this. So to answer your question, no, I don't think that they see the irony in this. And I think that this is an issue that they consistently, consistently miss. And there are better ways to talk about race. There are better ways to talk about inequality. 
and accusing anybody who doesn't agree with you of being a racist or being a white supremacist is not the way to cover ground in that. And, um, you know, that's been their, their core issue that they've really built themselves around and now nobody takes them seriously on it. Uh, question number two says, uh, is AOC and the squad burning all of their bridges or will they get a huge sympathy vote? He says, I mean, Republicans obviously don't like her, um, but large parts of the Democratic Party seem to be trying to marginalize them too, and the leaders of the party are also after them. So are they burning all of their bridges? In my opinion, the young, radical, Democratic Socialist wing of the Democrat Party, I think that they are doing to the Democrat Party what people have always accused libertarians of doing to the Republican Party. And that is, they are splitting the vote, and they are taking votes away from the party that's closest to them. And it's effectively sabotaging uh, the party that's closest to their side. And so AOC is very popular because she has a huge social media presence. And she's good at social media. I don't know uh, I don't know if she has coaches. I don't know if it's just her. I'm sure it's probably some combination of it. But social media is very, very well designed for people who are able to give their talking points in short, quick bursts. You know, you, you see a headline, you see a meme, and bam, that's it. That's, that's everything that they need to tell you. And it's really easy to convince people in those ways. If you're into copywriting, if you, if you write ads and stuff like that, one of the things that you'll learn is things need to be short and concise and quick. You take all the extra words out of there, you take all the extra fluff out of there, and um, talking points of the Democrats and of the left they can get those out very quickly. And people on the right, Republicans, often can't articulate in, in short bursts like that. So AOC really does have a good advantage because she's good at that medium. And she gets tons of likes and she gets tons of retweets. And it keeps her in the headlines because it's taking up space on the internet. The shortfall of this is that a lot of those likes and retweets and people sharing her stuff, they are, a lot of them aren't even old enough to vote. And the ones that are old enough to vote, most of them aren't old enough or successful enough to have any real money behind them. And as we've talked about uh, in the last episode, and as we'll continue to talk about, money is what makes things happen in Washington. You want to make change? You need to have the money to have some lobbyists working for you to make the change for you. And so I think that, you know, AOC and Ilhan Omar and some of these other young democratic socialists are coming in and they're ready to dismantle the whole system. They're ready to take down the rich. They're ready to take down the powerful. They're ready to take down, you know, the electoral college and anything that they see as standing in their way of turning this country into a socialist paradise. They're ready to dismantle all of that problem is they're all pretty new in Congress and sooner or later they're going to find out they need to be reelected and if they want to be reelected they probably need to make sure that they're raising some money if they're going to raise money one of the best ways to do it is to hang around lobbyists to take bribes from lobbyists but when you're at the mercy of the lobbyists you're at the mercy of the rich and powerful and that's how this whole thing works so while I think that these, um, you know, the whole democratic socialism thing, uh, I've told you a lot already and we'll continue to cover it, um, why 
these are such bad ideas and why these things can be such horrible, horrible failures, I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt that she means well, that she thinks that this is something that could fix this country. However, I think that she's on her way to a rude awakening when she realizes just how much she's going to have to give in and just how much she's going to have to really look at herself and to look at what her principles and what her character is when she's faced with the choice to protect her movement or to protect her job. And I think that's going to be tough for her to deal with when that happens. And finally, uh, the third question he asked was, if Trump wanted to silence these four women, why did he just hand them the biggest platform of their life? I don't know if it was right before or right after. The media started referring to these four women as the squad. And, you know, they're fighting against their own party. They're fighting against Donald Trump. One of the things that 48 Laws of Power talks about, uh, I'll link to that book in the show notes in case you want to take a look at it. Really, really great book. Very interesting. Um, Is that when you are in power, when you um, have any kind of position of power, I don't care whether you are a shift manager at your local clothing store or whether you're president of the United States of America. When someone beneath you takes a shot at you, most of the time, the best thing that you can do is just to ignore it. Just let it go. And you even see Donald Trump doing this. uh, One of the first times that the AOC had something bad to say about him, they asked him what he thought about it, and he, he shrugged his shoulders and said he didn't even hear about it. I think he maybe even said he hadn't heard of her. He didn't know who she was. That's the best way to handle it. You just let it go. Don't even let them know. In the words of Ben Settle, Ben Settle says, ignore them so hard that they begin to doubt their own existence. You see, if I'm not talking to you, you don't matter. No matter what you have to say about me, no matter what you have to say uh, about the things I talk about on this podcast, you know, I, I get people on Twitter just lobbing bombs at me sometimes, and you, you don't have to answer. Because when you answer, when you bring it back to them, you're actually elevating their ideas and their position, and you're bringing it to the attention of all of your followers and all the people around you. And so often we think that we have to shoot down every possible objection to what we're saying or to what we're doing, and that we have to make sure that we shut down the haters. But the reality is, the best way to shut down the haters is, is not to even pay attention to them. I don't know who first coined the phrase. I first heard it from Jason Stapleton, but he called it punching up. And one of the things that you can do is if you can try to pick a fight with someone who's a lot more famous than you, and you can get them to bite, and you can get them to fight back, then all of their followers and all of the people who also may be watching them who don't like them, they get to see you standing up to this person. And it doesn't matter whether you win or whether you lose. Suddenly, you're leveraging their fame and you're putting your name out there in their space. And so unless you sense that there are any real threat to what you're doing or who you are, the best thing to do is just let it go. So as you're asking the question here, what is Trump doing? If Trump wants to silence them, why did he hand them the biggest platform of their life? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Trump realized the exception to this rule. He knew that with one tweet and with one stupid, ignorant phrase, if you don't like it, then you can just go back to your own country, which is 
the absolute dumbest, laziest possible argument you could ever make because it's always the people who say, if you don't like it, then leave are always the, the people who were also born here. It takes a whole lot of intellect and a whole lot of dignity to tell somebody else who was born in the same place as you that they're the ones that should have to pack up and leave. This country was founded with people who could have packed up and left, but instead they stood up, they held their ground, they got some backup, and they kicked the tyrants out of this country. So when someone tells you that if you don't like it, you should leave, that's weak and lazy. But by Donald Trump using such a dumb, ignorant phrase that's going to rile up his base because plenty of his people like to use the exact same argument, he was able to spur a reaction so much bigger than his response to these haters of his. That's all that's been in the news for weeks. Is Trump racist? Did, did Trump make racist remarks? Why would he do this? This is unpresidential. This is this should never happen. Uh, is he xenophobic? Is he you know all of this noise? And and yeah, he uses a lot of these methods. I don't I don't know personally whether he genuinely hates people from other countries, whether he genuinely hates women, minorities, whatever. I, I don't know. But I do know for sure that he, he sure leverages these things to his advantage. And in this case, he's got everybody in the left fighting back against him. But what did I say about fighting back against someone who takes shots at you? It gives them a platform. It puts their name on the same level as your name. So all of this talk, all of these headlines, this uh, condemnation that came from the House of Representatives about Trump's language, it's all about Trump. All it's doing is reaffirming that he's in office, that he's in power, and that as long as he's there, you have, they have to answer to him. If they want laws passed, they've got to get him to sign it. If they want any support or any help, it goes through him. So Trump actually took... Uh, this law of power about not swinging down at people. And he was actually able to flip it upside down. And he was able to swing up at them and use all of their energy to boost his name and his people. And so now you've got Donald Trump and his base who are absolutely pumped because, again, if you don't like America, you get out of here. And at the same time, he has brought these four women to the front of the Democratic Party. And even though they're splitting up their own party, and a lot of their own party doesn't support them because, like I said, uh, your, your Nancy Pelosi's, your Joe Biden's, your Hillary Clinton's, all of those people understand that you've got to uh, shake hands and kiss babies and you've got to make sure that you keep the right people on your side and that you just play this little game of politics. And you make sure that you get your donors and you raise your money and you just ride it out. But you have these young, uh, passionate people who don't quite understand how the system works yet, and they're they're busting through the doors, ready to tear the whole thing down, and they're upsetting their own party. So with this, he's able to give his people someone to rally against. We've got to stop these Democratic Socialists because those are a whole lot scarier than Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, right? They're old, boring white people, just like plenty of Republicans, right? Um, and he's sowing division in the opponent's party as well as we move into this election. All right, I am looking at the time of this episode, and I wanted to go into a lot of the problems I see with the economics of what the Democrats are arguing about in the Democratic debates. I don't think I'm going to have time for that, but I promise you 
I am going to do a, a, a podcast episode on that, probably just be centered around that. And I mentioned before, potentially doing that part as a bonus episode. I had some sound quality issues the last time I recorded it. I promise I'm going to record that again because it's got a lot of good stuff that I want you to hear. But just looking at the time, the next set of debates that are coming uh, July 30th and July 31st. So I just want to give a, a brief overview of what happened with the last debates. Just a couple of the things that I saw that I felt like were important. And then we'll look at the ones that are upcoming. And I'll just talk about a few of these people from a candidate perspective and, and how they're doing. Um, I was really impressed. I really, I really felt like going into that first debate that the Democrats were just going to focus on Donald Trump and that the whole thing was going to be them repeating, you know, orange man bad, Trump is Hitler over and over and over and over again, and that they weren't going to have anything of substance to say for themselves. And the reason that that's not useful is uh, your brain doesn't do well with negative statements. I think I said before, you know, if you're trying to, to stop smoking, you shouldn't tell yourself don't smoke. You should find something to do instead of smoking because it's easier to replace that habit with another habit than to just stop something. And it's the same way even when you're trying to make a decision with something like what candidate you're going to have. And so if their only thing is don't elect Trump, your brain doesn't have anything good to hang on to other than elect Trump. So I was really pleased and really impressed that they really came to the table and brought issues that they wanted to work on. A lot of them were economic issues, and I'm going to pick those things apart because I think that they're going to do more harm than good. But at least they're bringing something to the table of this is what we want to do instead of we just have to stop this bad, scary guy. Um, it really seems like the media wants the nomination to go to Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris. Uh, Joe Biden had an early lead, and Joe Biden really, I think, holds the center line well and really represents somebody who everybody could kind of come together around because he's he's likable, he's a, a friendly guy, and he's got that, that nasty habit of getting way too close to girls and being really creepy, and that could really come back to bite him, but uh, at the same time, it, it hasn't ruined his career just yet, so maybe people just aren't willing to see that or aren't willing to look at that. But I think he comes off as a centrist kind of candidate. And I think that he's somebody, uh, if he were to get the nomination, then I think that that's somebody that people in the middle could really see themselves voting for and could be kind of a, a kinder face and a much more dignified solution uh, to Donald Trump. And I think that if you ran him up against Donald Trump, he would probably do pretty well. The problem is his party has really turned on him and his party does not want to see another old rich white guy taking power again. They are pretty well set on the fact that they I think I think they they need to have a woman. I think they have decided uh, that they are absolutely set on having a female candidate as their next presidential candidate. And um, unfortunately, that doesn't bide well for Joe Biden. And also they've just, they've really turned on him uh, from a racial perspective too, and brought up a lot of the things that he's done or a lot of things that he stood for in the past. And they've just jumped all over him and they're, they're pushing him out of it and he is not going to last much longer. But I do think that Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden probably have the best chance of facing Trump head to head, but they also don't have a good chance of winning their party to get to that point. It really seems like the media is 
pretty well made up their mind that they want Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris. That's the people that I see them focusing on the most and talking about the most in these upcoming debates. Um, first night, uh, Miriam Wilson, Tim Ryan, Amy Klobuchar, John Hickenlooper, Beto Rourke, John Delaney. Nobody cares about any of those people. Uh, the only important ones in night one uh, could be Pete Buttigieg, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and uh, I guess Beto O'Rourke, or if you want to consider. But uh, I think Beto's weak. He's not likable. He's not going to last long. Pete Buttigieg is a very good speaker, and he is a very powerful speaker. And while I don't agree with the things that he's asking for, you listen to the guy talk, and he makes you want to run through a brick wall. I mean, you would you'd get up and you'd take on the world for him. Uh, however... He's just the mayor of some small Indiana town. He's going to run out of money soon enough. Bernie Sanders, uh, again, I, I worry that it's kind of like the same thing with Joe Biden. Uh, he's an old, rich, white guy. He's got three houses in this Democratic Socialist thing. Uh, your Democrats with the real power, they don't like it, and they don't want to hear from it. And they already, uh, you know, they ripped off Bernie last election cycle. Um, to make it, They made it pretty clear that he's not one of their people, and even if they, he's going to draw votes. They're not interested in dealing with him. Um, Elizabeth Warren is obviously going to be kind of the focus of this one because they like her so much. Problem with her is that uh, Donald Trump has really ripped her to shreds already. And she is trying to be likable. She's trying to be friendly. She's trying to come off. Uh, Michael Malice has pointed out several times that she's trying to come off like your friendly old grandmother. Um, but instead, she's a college professor. She's not a friendly old grandmother. She's a, she's an intelligent woman. She's a well-read woman. But uh, Trump really got to her with this Pocahontas stuff. And like I said before, by giving her that nickname, every time somebody calls her Pocahontas, you're reminded that this woman lied about her race primarily just to to get a better spot uh, in college and be- be- help her get better jobs and stuff to say that she was a minority uh, and then she was she was dumb enough to actually take the test and find out that she was like a percent of a percent, um, not even necessarily Native American, that she was she was Hispanic or Native American, a percent of a percent. And she went ahead and published that like it was some kind of vindication for her and, and some kind of proof that she was right all along. And you find out that it's basically untraceable in her. But she's going to be the star of that show. Bernie Sanders is going to have some things to say. All the rest of these people... I'll be shocked if we really get much out of them because they're pretty much dead at this point. Uh, night two, July 31st. Um, looking at the list here, Cory Booker, we've heard a little bit from him. I don't think he has any staying power. I don't think that people feel like they identify with him well enough. Uh, got Joe Biden. Again, they're they're beating up on him big time. Uh, Kamala Harris, media really likes her. Andrew Yang is, is gaining some points. Um, his big thing, he wants universal basic income. Uh, again, that's kind of, uh, that whole thing is a mess and we can, we can go into that sometime as to why universal basic income probably wouldn't work. But at the same time, if you were to replace some welfare programs with it, it would be better than what we have now, but government programs never get replaced. They just get added on top of other government programs. But, uh, Andrew Yang is running on trying to be uh, a friendly, likable guy and, trying to reach across the aisle. And and he genuinely, uh, he showed support of uh, Andy No, the guy that Antifa beat up in Portland a little while ago, and he was a kind of a conservative journalist, and, and Andy Riang stood up for him. Um, 
You got Tulsi Gabbard. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not even going to lie. I'm not going to pretend that she's not my favorite in this race. You've heard me talk on and on and on about the endless war and about the war machine and the the war industry and the defense lobby in this country and how much money gets poured into that and how many lives get lost and how many innocent people, innocent children are getting bombed and we have people in this country getting rich off of it. And Tulsi Gabbard is the only one who's talking about that. And she is uh, in the Navy. I think she's in the Navy Reserves right now, if I remember correctly. But she is a servicewoman. And she is standing up against industrial military complex. And she is saying, listen, this needs to stop. This is dumb. We need to back out of this. Now, she is also kind of a Bernie Sanders type uh, in the sense that she wants Medicare for all. She wants a $15 minimum wage. Um, she's kind of a centrist on gun laws. She wants to take away assault rifles because nobody needs an assault rifle. All of those things I disagree with her with strongly. But war and threats of war are the number one thing that are used to take away your freedoms and for the government to give itself permission to print endless amounts of money. And as I'm going to talk about in an upcoming episode inflation is a way that you can tax people without them even knowing that they're taxed. And the government's able to use that to pull money out from under people who didn't even get to vote on it, didn't even get a say as to what's going to happen. It just, it just happens that way. And, you know, you look, 9-11 happened, they passed the Patriot Act. And now suddenly um, they're, they're able to spy on you without warrants. They're able to, you know, we find out that they're going through our phone records, that they're looking at your cell phone apps and your data and they have the ability to track you for anything they want and they can hold people for anything they want and all they have to say is it's a terrorist thing and of course we're afraid of terrorists we're afraid of another 9-11 so most people just roll right along with it but if we can get somebody who's willing to go in there and stand up against that and to say this is unacceptable and of course she wants to save that money and reallocate it toward government programs and and toward Medicare and, and all of this stuff, but at least then the money's not being used to directly kill people. Do you need to listen to the last episode to hear about us providing products that were used to blow up school buses full of children, to blow up weddings? This stuff needs to stop. And the way I see it, uh, Tulsi Gabbard is the one person who is out there actually talking about that. Otherwise, all Democrats, all Republicans are all on the same page. Just keep on with the war. Got to fight him over there so we don't have to fight him over here. When the reality is, no, that's the reason they come over here a lot of times, is to get back at us for the things that we've done over there. And, and Tulsi is, is standing up for that. And I really like that about her. And I would happily be willing to fight with her tomorrow about Medicare and minimum wage and all of this stuff if that meant that today we could stop the needless war. So normally I'm going to do my best to be unbiased and to try to give you uh, the, uh, the most fair account that I can, but I'm just going to be real here. Tulsi is somebody who I'm really excited about what she's saying, and I really hope that she goes as far as she possibly can. Uh, do I think she's going to get the nomination? Absolutely not. People would rather stick their heads in the sand and not worry about the unpleasant things, and they would rather hear about all the free stuff that everybody else can get them. And I guess that's fair. 
um, one of the other 48 laws of power is that you play to people's fantasies. You give them easy, simple suggestions to cure whatever ails them. This is why, uh, this is why miracle diets are a thing, right? You, um, take this magic pill, eat this magic food, and the the weight's just going to drop right off of you. Or, you know, get rich quick schemes. All you got to do is buy this product. Soon you'll be rich beyond your wildest dreams. Buy this lottery ticket, and if this is the winner, then your whole life is changed. Listen, the truth is much more boring. If you want to lose weight, you got to burn more calories than you take in. That's it. Uh, You want to save money? You want to be rich? You got to spend less money than you make. You got to do that for a long time, and eventually you build up some cash and you learn how to invest it, and you can help that grow. But let me tell you, those things, they're not fun, they're not sexy, they're not easy, and so people don't like to hear that. So even when you can come up with these crappy, boring ideas that, you know what, you know, you're poor because somebody else is rich, and if we can just go after this one rich guy, all of your problems are going to be solved. You know, or you don't have what you want because somebody else isn't giving their fair share. And I'm going to talk about those things in another episode. I was hoping to do it with this episode, and I looked at the time, and I thought, I just absolutely do not have time to go into this. But I wanted to talk about a couple of these people. One big thing is, uh, like I said, I think that they're, Joe Biden is kind of leading the polls. They're boxing him out big time. Liz Warren and Kamala Harris are both pretty high up there. Liz Warren, like I said, I think, I think Trump's already pretty much destroyed her. Uh, she did the video of her drinking beer uh, on a live stream. That doesn't go over well with people either. It, it might seem kind of cute or whatever one time, but when as soon as people see through that, they're going to turn on you pretty quickly. Uh, because let's be real, we know that most of these people are rich, powerful politicians. They're not Joe Blow that, that sits with you in the break room at work. They're not the same. And so as much as they want to pretend that they are, they're not. And when people see through that, that's going to end badly for her. Uh, Kamala Harris, one of the, the things that, some of the things that she's been really big on is here lately, she wants to uh, provide subsidies uh, for housing for black people. And she also, uh, for black people to own houses. And she also wants to provide housing for felons who have been released for prison. And this was something that when I saw that, uh, it really pissed me off when I read this because it's like, look, she was a prosecutor. That's how she rose to fame in her career was by putting people in jail for things, for stupid things like drugs. And you're going to put people in jail and then come back and claim that you need money from the government to give subsidies to help these people find houses. You're the one who put them there. You're the one who gave them a permanent record that they will never escape because they were smoking a plant. And then you have the audacity to come back and white knight in and act like you're the one who's going to save them with this bill that you're going to pass after people doing the same thing that you're doing are the ones who have ruined their lives in the first place. Get out of here. And Donald Trump has been kind of playing with the idea of taking marijuana off of the federal you know, banned substance list or whatever. And, you know, already 10 states have decriminalized pot and more states are talking about it. The country's coming around pretty favorably to it. And I think that one of the things that Donald Trump is sitting on is that if he runs against Kamala Harris, I think that he's going to decriminalize marijuana then and there. And he's going to say, look, this is a plant that is relatively harmless. 
probably less harmful than cigarettes and alcohol. And this woman, my opponent, threw people in jail just because they were using it. And now they've ruined their whole lives because they smoked a joint. I, on the other hand, you're sitting president, I'm going to remove the clamps that we have down on marijuana and I'm going to take steps to stop putting people in prison for it. And I think that that would be a huge move and I think that's something that he's keeping in his back pocket uh, just in case he has to run against Kamala Harris. But that's just my opinion, but I will tell you, I haven't heard that anywhere else. I haven't heard anybody else say that. So when that does happen, you will know that you heard it here first on the Make America Garrett Again podcast. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode. This has been episode eight. We've made it through eight episodes now, and we are still rolling just fine. Numbers are still growing. People are still listening in from all over the world, actually. Uh, Great stuff around the country, but the world too, which is just absolutely awesome. If you want to reach out to me, if you've got questions, you got something that uh, you'd like me to cover on the show, reach out to me on Twitter.com is the best place. I'm on Twitter all the time. Twitter.com slash Garrett again. Uh, Facebook.com slash Garrett again, Instagram, Garrett again, or you can email me at uh, Garrett again at PM.me. As always, Garrett just has one R in it. And until we talk next time, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.